0: Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and. Absolutely!
1: Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. First edition news with Willem van Dendren shortly and of course during the show we'll be joined by our 250 game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson. But first up after talking to Sky News Ross Greenwood last week about the emergence of other contenders in the sports streaming space we're going to continue the conversation this week with the man who broke the sports flick story in the Sydney Morning Herald or Vince Ruggari We'll find out what further developments there have been and get his take on how this affects domestic rights deals in Australia for the men's and women's game. Then we'll switch to what is picking up at momentum as the worst crisis in the history of the Melbourne Victory Football Club with club legend Archie Thompson as his former team languishes at the bottom of the ladder. Archie is becoming more and more outspoken in recent times and uh, you really do have to listen when he speaks because he's a guy that's been forecasting this for some time and people just weren't listening. Uh, they are listening now, that's for sure. But we're going to continue after Archie with the victory discussion and we're going to Talk to the host of the Melbourne Victory Podcast for VUX sake, Dave. The host, or one of the hosts, has uh, some pretty strong views on the subject and any Victory fan is fully aware of the FVS uh, podcast. And uh, if you want a strong opinion, uh, tune into that podcast. You'll find out exactly what those boys think. Uh, it's a direct line into the terraces and uh, we're going to take it with Dave when we talk to him in the second hour. We'll, and we'll kick off with second edition news and the ladders on Socceroos and Matilda's Central. And then we'll turn back to Europe with Jordan Campbell. Campbell. Campbell from The Athletic to discuss the resurrection of Rangers who this past week secured their historic 55th Scottish Premiership title after a decade in the wilderness and football fans uh, know all about uh, the financial woes that uh, Rangers had and uh, going down to the fourth division and then winning all the titles and getting promoted. It's an incredible story. No one knows it better than Jordan. Looking forward to a chat with him and lots more in the Premier League and Champions League with Dino and Derek and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. Michael, um, you were going to take a week off last week to go to what the W League, but uh, events conspired to prevent you doing that.
2: I ended up watching it on TV because they transferred uh, from Lakeside Stadium to Amy Park, the uh, the game uh, on match day, and uh, Melbourne Victory couldn't get their COVID plan in place, so fans weren't allowed to go to the game, but I did watch it on the, on the telly and enjoyed that. But having said that, Rob, I did go to um, the Marvel Massacre. Last mm. Saturday, Melbourne City six nil demolition of uh, Melbourne Victory, and I do declare that this edition of Box the Box is the official blowtorch edition for everyone at Melbourne Victory because it is a full blown crisis. But mm. I don't think the club's HQ, the, the the chiefs who run the club, think it is a crisis. But well, my theory is that I they're using it is. the PR department of the uh, of uh, Buckingham Palace to That's communicate. Right. They just put out a, a two paragraph. Two paragraph first statement and uh, and say there's nothing to see here. Exactly. I bet you missed us. Sorry, Will.
3: G'day, guys. Before we apply the blowtorch to the victory, yeah. there has been a little bit of news out of the club to get to first. They've reappointed former assistant JP Demarini as first team coach until the end of the season. Demarini worked with Kevin Musket in the championship winning seasons of 2014, assistant first 15. Team coach. Assistant first-team coach I think he's the first-team coach Steve mm. Keane's the assistant coach And Grant is the head coach So make of that uh, mm. what you will It's, uh, yeah, there's uh, They're positions that are not particularly clear And that's sort of mm. what goes on at board level at Victory as well JP, as we know, uh, recently held the senior position at Western Sydney In other news, Goulburn Valley Suns have announced Qual, brother of Alou, has joined the Victory But apart from that, it has this week been a club in lockdown, guys No word from the board after the 6-0 massacre? No well, share a few
1: insights. We, we had a production meeting this week, as we do every week, and we discuss what we are going to talk about. And uh, and we've been getting nothing out of the victory for some time now, uh, struggling to get phone calls returned from their media department, uh, emails responded to, et it, It's It's quite... Bizarre, to be perfectly frank. I've been contacting media managers in sport for the better part of 25 years across football, across rugby league, rugby union, and I've never failed to at least have a, an email or a phone call acknowledged. Um, We've we put a bit of process in place to just test whether we would get anywhere this week, so just
3: talk us through it. As we always do, sent an email to the club and, and called with the, the club media manager and, and didn't get a response, so that's not that's not abnormal for for. Some clubs, it's certainly not abnormal for victory over the last couple of years, unfortunately. But there's, you know, some. But you fans said you
1: followed up uh, with questions that we w- we were hoping to ask uh, in a professional manner, and uh, and still no response.
3: No, no response, and also no response from the club to the fan protest. The fans mm. that went down there on Monday, and no, there's been no signs of life over the past month or so on active support as well. Now, just before we went to where there was a little statement, a wishy-washy sort of corporate statement that is really taking the fans for fools. No fans are honestly going to believe that. So I, as a fan of the club, feel... Well, give us that statement. I feel more ignored this week uh, as a fan than then angry about the 6-0 loss, if that makes sense. It's 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 deeper frustration than just the, the team in the shirts yeah. going down 6-0. The statement reads, We are doing everything we can to get them back in the terraces, that being the fans, and we hope our ongoing discussions with the key stakeholders will see a resolution as soon as possible. The club will provide an update when available. So that's basically no update.
2: Before Willem gets into the rest of the news, um, just to close uh, this sort of opening um Commentary about Melbourne Victory Is that They need to front up And ask some hard questions And uh, they're not doing that And the fans Are voting with their feet I was there last Saturday night There was uh, Less than Less than uh, 11,000 people At the game I
1: noticed And I'm not sure Who um, wrote this But I I noticed it And then I read it In an article That it's not a good day At Marvel Stadium When you can read the words Marvel on the seats
3: Uh, And I think that'll be the case This Saturday night Again against Adelaide Unfortunately Moving on to the W League Michelle Heyman Will have the chance To go top of the All all-time goal scorers list when Canberra faced Perth on Friday. Heyman drew lever with Sam Kerr on 70 league goals in last Sunday's 4-1 drubbing of Brisbane, which brought them to within striking distance of the four. Heyman one-on-one with the keeper, Michelle Heyman. And
4: there we have it, she has equaled Sam Kerr's record.
0: It's the all-time highest scorer in the W League. She's finally done it, the monkey's off her back. Well done, Michelle Heyman, 70 goals in the W League.
3: Michael, you expect Canberra to bank the points against Perth this Friday, who are unfortunately having a pretty dire season. Who of the current top five do you expect to miss the cut for finals?
2: I think Canberra's the one that's uh, going to probably just miss the cut, because I think just the results will go against them, and uh, their their run at the finals will probably be enough, but just a reflection on Michelle Hayman. She's actually in um, career-best form at the moment, I I believe, and she's... A lot of the goals in the W League, uh, some of them can be goalkeeper errors and so forth, but she scored some technically brilliant goals this year, and um, if I was Tony Gustafsson, she'd definitely been uh, in, even though she's not a contracted Matilda, that they, they should have a look at her. She looks like she's in the peak physical condition of her career and she's uh, scoring goals.
3: And she certainly made it clear that she's keen as mustard for a return with the big next couple of years ahead for the Matildas. Over to England, Harry Cure has been sacked as manager of Oldham Athletic, following a run of one win in six that had the club 16th in League Two. He's had a bit of support from rival manager Ian Evert of Bolton. He's described Oldham's decision as crazy, with the club to now appoint their eighth manager in three years under the current ownership. Kewel said he leaves the clubs with no regrets, having known from the outset he'd have little budget or time to work with. Now, Rob, your prediction that Harry will one day be Socceroos' manager, is certainly not under threat because he's got a long way to go, but that is now Crawley, Knotts and Oldham that haven't gone his way. Is it time to maybe cast an eye to Australia? I
1: just get a sense from Harry, and we talked to Jackson Irvine a couple of weeks ago as, a, as an individual, as a professional, um, that his capacity is uh, is... As yet untapped uh, uh, If a, a, an A-League club Gives him a go I'd love to see it But I just You just know Harry He's, he's a bloody-minded Kind of guy He's not the sort of Fellow that's going to Give up easily He's he's married to an English woman he's, His family is settled Over there um, I just can't see Him coming back To Australia Unless he had A, a massive offer He's not going to do A Tony Popovich And, uh, and go from uh, You know One uh, country to the next uh, I just think that Harry might uh, Be better off Getting an assistant Position somewhere um, At uh, you know A second Or third um, Tear down And then really learning the craft Of someone who's who's Done the caper And then re, regroup um, I still back him
2: uh, I actually think he's building A brand in coaching He's starting to get uh, Some Little bit of runs on the board But he's getting all important experience And mm. I, I hope he sticks at it Because i um, your prediction, Rob, when you first made it a few years ago that he'll coach Soccer Roos, i mean—raised some eyebrows around the table. But, but Across I just the world. That's right. But uh, having said that, I do think he's building a bit of a. Moment, he's made, I, I did I remember I did say in his mid-sixties. Yeah, and I actually so. think that he's. Uh, I like uh, some of the stuff he's done recently. So, uh, let's hope he gets another opportunity and uh, and he can continues to build his credibility and yeah. as a as a you know a, a top line coach. And I'd love to see him back in Australia coaching at some point. I think that'd be great. All right, stick around. We're going to talk to Vince Rigari.
1: We had that sports flick story last week, which he broke. We talked to Ross Green. We're going to talk to Vince about that and a bunch of other things around sports streaming in Australia next on Box to Box.
0: Box to Box. Can you believe it? For chemist warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And storage king. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
1: This is Box to Box. Now a little over a week ago Vince Regari wrote an article in the Sydney Morning Herald that set the uh, football town alight when uh, he wrote that uh, Sports Flick, uh, uh, pretty much a start-up in uh, the world of sports streaming had uh, pinched the the rights to the Champions League from Optus Sports now the due diligence for that is still playing out right now. We haven't had uh, any official announcements but uh, we did speak to Ross Greenwood uh, from Sky News uh, last week about it. We want to dig a little deeper into it from a football point of view now and uh, we welcome Vince back to the show. How are you, mate?
5: Very well, thanks, guys. How are
1: you? Really good, mate. So you know, we we sort of we crossed a a, a, a range of different areas with the discussion with Ross Greenwood last week, and uh, uh, he gave us some insights and speculated on a few different things. We don't know any more than we did then, but uh, insofar as uh, you know, your contact with Michael Turner and uh, and the, the team at Sports Flick, it, it still seems that it's uh, it's it's happening and is is likely more likely than not.
5: Look, I can't go. Too deep into you know discussions I've had on or off record with various parties, but the rest assured, I, I certainly wouldn't write something unless it was uh, it was true, um, and it's definitely happening. Um, it's definitely the case that sportslick have won the bid for the UEFA Champions League. Uh, I, as far as I know, there's nothing that's happened um, so far that is derailing that. It's um, it's a, it's a I, you know it's, it's an interesting process though I think because I mean this is a a startup that uh, is is really engaged in this level of uh, of negotiation and due diligence for the first time, and and it sort of makes sense if UAFA are taking their time to check out all the bona fides because um I think like everyone no one had heard <laughs> heard of Sportsbook prior to a week ago, so um you'd, you'd want to make sure you're uh, if you're going into business with them that you want to tick all the right boxes. But um look uh, as far as I know um it's it's still happening. That could change. Um, but I, I don't think it will. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the, the reaction to the story was immense, purely because days after I wrote it, I still couldn't believe it. It was one of those ones that just comes out of absolutely nowhere and, and shocks the industry. They don't come around too often, things like that. And um, in, in some ways, I really am trying to still get my head around it, trying to piece together who these guys are as individuals and as a group, where their money comes from. I mean, they say they're self-funded. That's cool, but you know that's, that's still a fair chunk of cheese just to have lying around. So you do wonder if these guys love football so much, why haven't they taked their head up previously? You know, why haven't they bought an A League club, for instance, things like that?
2: It is a crazy story. Just if we take a step back, um, it's good news for the A League though, because w League, because at the end of the day, now with the establishment of Stan Sport and their uh, acquisition in rugby, uh, we know that uh, Optus uh, with its with its existing rights, and uh, you know they'll they'll they look like uh, Optus Sport will be a long term player um and obviously now sports flick uh, it seems like the a-league may have some options so the, the first question i've got for you vince is do you think the a-league uh, football community's fallen out of love with fox, fox sports we you know no no more preview and review panels no sunday night show to uh, talk about all the things off the park um it's just a bare bones coverage at the moment. So. Um, is it, the, is it the right time for football to leave Fox? And if Fox makes a rearguard action to try and get it based on its, on its own strategic uh, content play, um, should the uh, APL say no and, and, and forge new path?
5: If all that Fox can offer is what they're currently offering right now, then I would say yes. You should definitely remember the A-League and the W-League did not exist without Fox Sports. And for most of the last 16, 16 years, they've done an absolutely sensational job. I still vividly remember the day when the FA Cup launched and I was sitting in my lounge room and I just couldn't believe that I was watching on TV um, the Brisbane Strikers playing against, the I think it was the Broadmeadow Magic, and and that there were cutaways from all the other games on at that time being looped into the coverage. Like, it was, it was some of the guys who've come through the, the Fox planetary scene, Ange Coglu, Mark Rudin, like, you know, have gone on to coach and, and have given tremendous insight, um, so many great memories, are linked with Fox, but you're right. At the moment, um, it's, it's bare bones and, uh, you know, the, the, coverage is basically the, 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 absolute minimum. There's no more magazine shows. There's barely any post or game um, reaction. Uh, and, and that's a decision Fox has obviously taken based on, um, you know, some pretty average ratings from the A League over the journey and, and probably some frustration with the A League too about the way it's managed its own affairs, um, in recent years. I think we can all, sort of agree that that's that's, that's been the case. The A-League has has really been stalling these last few years. Um, But the A-League's in a position right now where um, it needs to grow. It needs to start building on the things that, you know, it's been doing for for many years and take things to the next level. And um, you can only really do that with a broadcast partner who wants to go on that journey with you and wants to give you a leg up on that journey, help you promote your product, not just through the channel or television station that you've got, but through other means as well. Um, Fox and News Corp used to do that But we look at News Corp's coverage of football That's who is scaled back dramatically um, Fox's coverage is scaled back dramatically And for a league that needs to grow and expand its rise, That's no longer the... Um, yeah, it doesn't seem like the, the marriage it used to be, that's for
1: sure. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Vince Regari from the Sydney Morning Herald about TV rights in general, what it means, uh, the, the new player on the market and uh, and how it all plays out for football in this country.
2: We've seen a lot of dialogue um, before the A-League, this current A-League season started about whether it should make a permanent move to winter or whether it should stay in summer or some sort of um, hybrid sort of uh, arrangement based on you know Asian football calendars, FIFA breaks, all those types of things, the quality of Content the standard of play in winter versus summer, but uh, my sources tell me that most of the uh, the options available to the APL are going to want you know broadcast partners are going to want this to be uh, remaining summer. Do you have a view on 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 summer or winter and the commercial application of it?
5: I think every person who likes football and wants football to succeed would agree that um, winter is the best option purely from a footballing standpoint, but. Um, and for a number of reasons, obviously, because it would align with the NPL, align with Asia, um, cooler weather, better football, et cetera. Like, that's so, so obvious. But I, I guess this is sometimes where I get frustrated with, um, some of the discourse within the game, particularly on Twitter about what, what should we should do as a game. Like, you don't make our decisions in a vacuum, you know, a lot depends on, um, factors other than what we think as pure football people with the right move. Um, now, even before this broadcast negotiation cycle, began, there, there were clubs who were split about whether summer and winter was the, the right option. Like Obviously, James Johnson of Football Australia think winter's the way to go. And some A-League clubs think that as well. I actually think it's the minority of A-League clubs who think that because um, some A-League clubs, particularly the ones in the, in the southern states who, who have to compete with the uh, the absolute behemoth that is his AFL, um, there, there's issues for them moving to, uh, to winter because the the A-League matches will be going head-to-head with uh, you know, a, a bigger product in town and, and a sport that a lot of people who have A-League memberships follow. Um, there's also ground availability and pitch quality concerns as well. But um, the overwhelming number one factor here, uh, as you mentioned, is, is the broadcasters. Um, and now, a lot of people don't like the idea of broadcasters um, dictating how football needs to be. But ultimately, there is no professional football in Australia without a broadcaster. And uh, I, you know, I think we're hearing the same mail. Almost all, if not all, of the broadcasters who are in the mix for the A League at the moment um, are interested in it being a summer competition. Because, uh, for instance, Stan, as I reported a couple of weeks ago, um, are keen, but they've just spent a, a bucket load of money on rugby, which is on in the winter. Nine owns Stan, and Nine also has the rights to do the rugby league, and that's in winter. So it doesn't actually make much sense for them to add another winter football code to their arsenal of content. It makes a whole lot of sense. Them to add a summer competition, and look, climate change is going to change the world, as we all know, and there's big implications for that um, for football in summertime as well. But for now, I think we look at the quality of football we've just seen over the last couple of months, and yes, it's a, it's an unseasonably cool summer, but I, I don't think summer is a big disaster that some people have sort of made it out to be. And I think uh, if we can find a broadcast partner who wants to go on this journey with us, like I said, and that broadcast partner will hopefully agree. To not stage matches at ridiculous hours in the afternoon or early evening in the heat of summer in places like Brisbane or Perth or wherever. Um, you know, if, if a broadcaster wants the league and wants it in summer and wants a good product, hopefully they and the APL and if, and the FA, if they need to be involved in this conversation, can talk about when the right time to play in summer is. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with the balmy evening kickoffs. Like uh, you know, some of my best football memories are uh, you know. Uh, summer holidays, summer nights, a few beers at the, at Highmark Stadium in, in my hometown of Adelaide. and uh, Yeah, it's nothing better. So, look, in principle, I'm for winter. In reality, I think summer is our only option, at least right now. And hopefully one day we can build to a position where um, we can do winter because we're strong enough as a code to actually determine our own state. We're not there yet.
1: Yeah, it does seem that way, Vince. Uh, and personally, I'd love to see uh, football in winter. But uh, you use the Melbourne example alone, where you've got Amy Park, which is already. Um Covering uh, the Melbourne Storm, the Melbourne Rebels, um, and you, and then you'd have the, at the very least City and Victory playing there as well, and uh, tr- trying to 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 get a, sp- a playing surface that was fit for football, uh, um, and a line fixtures uh, would be just a, a massive issue. And, and for those reasons you outlined, like uh, hopefully uh, uh, Stan does come in with a with a decent bid, and uh, and Fox has uh, you know second thoughts, and and we could put a competitive scenario together where the A League and and the APL can uh, can get the the kind of money that they need to. Uh, to, to, to begin to regenerate the, uh, the A-League and the W-League to the, the standard that uh, that will, we remember it from in the past and uh, and, and to you know the, uh, the better standards of the future that we hope. Vince, thanks again for coming on the show, mate. We really appreciate it. We'll keep watching that sports flick yarn with interest and uh, no doubt it'll play out even more so. We'd expect an answer uh, on what's going to happen in the next week or two, mate. So we'll be watching uh, uh, your byline in the Sydney Morning Hill to find out uh, what the latest is.
5: Absolute pleasure, guys. Thanks very much.
1: Vince Ruggari from the Sydney Morning Herald. We're now going to turn our attention to a little bit of a, an inquest into the Melbourne Victory. Uh, Archie Thompson's coming up after the break. Inquest,
2: Rob, I'd call it Blowtorch.
1: Yeah, that, that sounds uh, as good as inquest. Um, we'll, we, maybe we do a bit of both. Uh, and we'll talk to Dave from uh, For Vuck's Sake, the Melbourne Victory uh, uh, fans uh, podcast, which uh, has got a lot of support, and those boys don't miss when they come off the long run. That's all coming up next on Box
0: to Box. Box to Box. The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be
1: the most crucial... Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now, uh, we've been following the story as every football program media outlet has done over the past uh, couple of months since the A-League season started of the, uh, the gradual decline of the Melbourne victory. Uh, They had uh, their worst ever season in the COVID season but this year it's shaping up and likely to be even worse uh, given that they are sitting uh, stone motherless last on the bottom of the ladder and showing very few signs of uh, recovering. To talk about it though, um, there are no bigger club legends at the victory than our next guest and uh, Archie Thompson. Uh, We welcome you back to box to box How are you mate? Yeah, really good, mate. Really, really good. So, Archie, uh, this is the sort of topic that gets hashed over and over and over again and everyone's got an opinion and everyone's got a, uh, a view and uh, and we're all trying to, you know, uh, uh, dig through the entrails of what's going on right now. But from a personal point of view, uh, does it sadden you um, to see the, the, the gradual sort of drift of the club to, uh, to the state that, that it's in right now?
4: Yeah, of course. Um, and also, too, just because I, I know Grant Brevner really well. I know a lot of the players. And uh, like I said, everyone's allowed their opinion. I guess it's it's um, difficult uh, for them. Uh, I know just looking from outside in, it, it is difficult. Uh, I know from my own experience as a player, you go through tough times. But obviously, when you're at a massive club, and obviously for years, it hasn't been um, really great. Uh, it gets magnified, and um, unfortunately for Paul Green, Bredner, he's, um, he's almost at the forefront of it all. And uh, I know there's a lot of talk about stuff behind that's going on within the club, who's recruiting, who, what's happening with youth development. You know, it's almost when you look inside it, it's almost like the the, the club hasn't really evolved much. It's almost like it's, um, you watch Western Idol, you see Melbourne City, they're starting their own. Academy set up. They've got. They've built their own facilities. Um, I think they're just a lot more proactive. But uh, look, it, it's it's difficult times. Um, I, I actually reached out to Anthony De Petro and Grant Bredner just to see if there's something maybe I can do within the club. Uh, I know that it's probably gone away from that culture that we had uh, when we had a lot of success. And you know, even speaking with players within the club, there, there isn't that sort of leadership quality and culture that was part of the DNA and why we had such huge success. So um, I guess getting players back in that were a part of that can certainly, I feel like, help help grant um, because I want him to succeed. And I know with uh, Kevin Muscat, when his time at Melbourne Victory, he had everything. He had the foundations, he had the players. Uh, so he, he had all all the ingredients to succeed, which he did. I just felt like, with Grant Brevner, he's almost been given this old bomb of a car. <laughs> and This guy, like, you know what? Uh, we, we're putting you in the Formula One. Uh, you <laughs> put know, your foot and, and down on the
1: gas and go, yeah, artist.
4: Put your hardest. Yeah, see what you but look, I, um, I love the club, and, mm, and I can yeah. see why the passion. Support, supporters are so passionate and voicing their opinion. But mm. I mean, it's, it's obviously easy to say what's what's going on outside, but you don't really know what's going on within.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 a tough thing to do, isn't it? Because it's easy to throw stones and criticise and mm. and find the, the weaknesses and the faults, et cetera. But but as observers, you know, it's sport. We that's what we all do. We we are passionate about it, and we want to talk about mm. it, and uh, we we want to come up with solutions. And and uh, unless you're uh, you know Sydney FC or one of the other clubs uh, who are more than happy to see victory uh, doing what they're doing right <laughs> now, um, you want to see them succeed. But I mean, just a question from the, the the comments you just made. Then what, what did Anthony Di Pietro? when when you reached out. Um, did, did you get a favourable response?
4: Oh, of course, yeah, because we're really close. I mean, I'm still close with a lot of the board, a lot of people within the club, the players. So uh, he was just grateful that, that I'd, I'd give him a call because I know that they're going through a, a lot of tough times. I know, know Anthony had to get our social media, even Aunt Grant, um, which is, you know, not great. Like, everyone's just trying to do the best they can in this world, you know. Um, sometimes you're going to get it right. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But for me, with Melbourne Victory, I've been saying this for years and I just feel like, oh, Archie's saying it, so obviously no one's going to listen. It might be stupid. But mm. to, for ages, the cracks have been showing mm. um, from from the depths. I just never saw depths in that club. And, and mm. uh, I always see across the board with other clubs is that when players were injured, they had other players that came in that were capable of doing it. And I'm, I'm purely speaking from the football point of view. Um, and and I could see it happening. I saw it when they won the championship. Look, that's not taking anything away from the team that won that um, grand final against Newcastle. But it, to be honest, they should never have been there. <laughs> like, uh, Sydney FC had the worst game of their life in the semi and It only was uh, that late run almost salvaged that season. But I could see the cracks were showing then. And obviously, COVID hit. Grant took over for a, a side that... Man was probably not of a, a Melbourne Victory. How can how can I say it? Like, um, stature. Because the, the I, I've been part of a Melbourne Victory teams throughout the years and have had just quality players across the park and so many leaders. And uh, I just felt like there, there isn't that many there now. But again, I don't want to kick players when they're down because I've been there in that position. It's mm. hard to find that confidence when you feel like everyone's against you. Hopefully, I can turn it around.
1: This is Box to Box on Nine Radio, NTS News Talksport. We're talking to one of our favourite uh, national representatives, Archie Thompson. He played for Australia 54 times, but he also played for the Melbourne Victory 224 times and scored 90 goals. So uh, when you, Archie talks about the Victory, you listen.
2: Archie, just just in your social network, there'll be many, many Victory supporters and members and sponsors. Uh, the, the degree of anger at the moment, um, the degree of disappointment, you know, um, how, do you, how do you rate it? It's, uh, is it? Is is it as big as it's ever been since you left the club?
4: Yeah, it, it is. I, I think it's just sort of stemmed over the last few years. Um, when you've got a massive club that hasn't succeeded in a long time, it, it, it definitely frustrates supporters and fans. And I just think that um, from the recruitment point of view and the, the football that's been played, okay, um, they have every right to be upset because, for me, that game on Saturday against uh, Melbourne City, they just – it was basically uh, men against boys. And there's ways of losing, uh, which you can, you're not going to win every single game. And, and But it's just about how you lose, show heart, and, and I just think it wasn't there. And but that comes with obviously having confidence and they're just lacking so much confidence. Everywhere, not just from the team, not for, even from, from the coaching staff, but it must just filter through the whole organisation. Um, so it's, it's obviously disappointing, but I feel like for the A League, Melbourne, uh, I know that Sydney be be obviously happy, a lot of other clubs would be happy, but for the success of the league to do well, um, they need a Melbourne victory to be doing well. And at the moment, it's, it's not there, but. Um, like I said, a week of football is a really short time. You can see things turn around so quickly. I know they've got JP there that's uh, they've, they've come in, and I feel like he can add a bit of balance. I know uh, people have their opinions about you know why he's in there, but I feel like I know JP. I was there when we had our successful time at uh, Melbourne Victory. He's, he's just, just that character that will uh, add a as long bit of... As
1: he stays of, on the um, sideline, Archie. Yeah,
4: well, mate, you need a bit of mungle. <laughs> You know, you need a bit of mungle. And sometimes it's good to have that balance. Like I know Brebs is a bit of a calm character, but maybe not so um, tough on the players when they need to hear it. Maybe someone coming in like a JP can go, hang on, that's not you're not doing that right. There's no sugarcoating it. You either fix it or you're out. And um, that's the kind of feel uh, that they probably need. And JP has that voice and that maybe partnership might work.
2: Archie, um, a lot of people in my network are... Uh uh, have a similar opinion to you that the cracks have been shown for a while and that, that the Marvel massacre against Melbourne City last weekend was – uh, you know, the, the point that uh, the blowtorch now can be applied. And a lot of people are questioning, uh, they want that blowtorch pointed in the direction of Trent Jacobs, Drew Sherman, and Paul Trimboli, who've been at the club, uh, maybe not Drew, but Trent and Paul for a long time. And that whether they are the right people who are the engine room of the, the club that makes this, just, you know, the strategic decisions around, you know, coaching, recruiting, um, player and youth development. Um, what do you think about those three guys? And I know it'll be a hard question for you to to answer. But um, should the blowtorch be put on their positions, and uh, and should some of the accountability be sh- sheeted home to them?
4: Well, look, I feel like accountability should be shared across the, the, the board, not just from um, when I say board, I mean from like the from in the offices the, who's making the decisions out onto the playing field. But I don't, I can't personally comment on what they do because I, I I don't, I don't know how much involvement they have from picking players or recruiting it. I I just know them on a personal level. I know that they're passionate about the club. Uh, I've been around Trimmers long enough. He knows football, so he's not silly. I know that Trent Jacobs, he comes from more of a football background. I mean, AFL, Um, he's kind of still learning the ropes. I'm not sure. A lot of the finger-pointing and what I'm hearing seems to be coming towards um, the Sherman, Uh, probably a bit young and experienced, from the position that he's in, possibly, I know that his CV doesn't, sh- um, CV probably doesn't um, show what it should be to have a position like he does in a club like Melbourne Victory. So look, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I, I can only comment on what I know. and That's as far as I know. I know that uh, Trent's doing his best he can. Um, Truman's is doing the best he can, and I don't know about Sherman. As much, but a lot of people are saying that he's making the decisions. And if, if he's making the decisions, well, then things obviously need to be sorted
1: out. Archie, we'd love to have you on for a lot longer and dissect this even more. But we're grateful for the time that you've given us. Um, you know, we uh, we broadcast this show from Melbourne, but we, we're football people, and uh, and we love uh, the, uh, the 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 good things about the A League. Uh, and there are a lot of good things this season, oh, a lot more exciting great. stuff. But yeah, it's uh, just so sad yeah. to see a great club um, in such a state of, you know, relative decay. Um, And, uh, yeah, mate, so thanks for coming on, Archie.
4: No stress, guys. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Archie Thompson uh, from our uh, point of view um, the uh, one of, well if not the greatest probably um, a league player in the history of the competition then uh, he's certainly in the grand final of that discussion uh, look next we're going to talk to Dave from For Vuck's sake the victory podcast it's a fans podcast they're off the leash when those boys go to where they don't miss anything and we wanted to get an opinion from the uh, in the terrace the, the terrace is correct uh, so stick around that'll be interesting next on box to box
0: box to box Can you- The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
1: Well, for fans of the For Vuck's Sake podcast, they'll recognise that uh, music as the uh, music that opens that great podcast, the Melbourne Victory uh, discussion that takes place, well, usually once a month or thereabouts. It's Eddie Current Suppression Ring, Which Way to Go? But the man we're about to talk to, Dave Sahoy, he's been uh, one of the voices of uh, the For Vuck's Sake podcast for the past six years, and uh, we uh, are really pleased to have him on our show for the first time. How are you, Dave?
6: Could be better, Rob. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, And Michael, uh, a pleasure to join you guys. And that was, very
1: much a nice surprise hearing hearing that podcast intro there. Absolutely, mate. Well, it's uh, it's you guys um, are passionate fans, and and they, and there's no mistaking that. I mean, I I remember my first experience at uh, at Olympic Parks. You know, I was, I was doing some uh, work for uh, for a community station in the in the season, standing on the running track there, watching you know the victory fans. Uh, it just it, it was something that was created almost. It felt like out of nothing. It was this latent appetite for football um, at that level and. Uh, and it was all the best things. uh, uh, But then to listen to your podcast a couple of weeks ago where, you know, you guys described the victory as a diseased, rotting carcass. Uh, Mate, it's it's, it's, it's just tragic, isn't it, that we've come to this?
6: Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I think the main thread, you know, the main sort of focus of our last few weeks is that the club seems to have lost its way. And, you know, obviously it coincides with a, a, a terrible start to this campaign, you know. Uh, seven points from 10 games and a humiliating record-breaking loss just on the weekend. But you're not wrong what you just talked about with Olympic Park and what, what has been created with Melbourne victory over the past 16 years. Uh, it was really that perfect storm in a city that was crying out for a, a football club uh, to represent the city. And, you know, I, I don't want to be a doom and gloom merchant. I think that the fans are still there. The club is still very much a powerful one, uh, but I do feel that we need to, I guess, uh, address some of the malaise that is you know, both on and off the park currently.
2: We just had Archie Thompson on and he talked about he, he's been seeing cracks for, for some years and that they've been papered over to, to, to in his opinion. And, and we've also, we had Richard Wilson recently on the show who told us that he thought it was an elite club not being run as an elite club. And now... I, I have the opinion, Dave, that the club is so far out of touch with its sort of fan expectations and culture. You know that uh, Anthony DiPetro, Mario Bison, who are good uh, football people that have been around the game a long time and have really are the the the, um, the stewardship of the club at the moment, and the administration just seems so detached from the expectations of the fans that. It's a it is a full blown crisis and that something uh, needs to give. Do, do you have that view as well?
6: Absolutely. Yeah, you summed that up perfectly. And the, the discontent is palpable. Like I, I feel like uh, with our podcast and the, 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 the community that, that exists uh, around FES, uh, we have our ear to the ground, you know, and you know the finger on the pulse, so to speak. And the angst is just incredible right now. And I want to say from the outset, it's not you know we're not sore losers. We 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 can deal with losses. We've had periods you know where we've finished you know second last a couple of times. The first season of Melbourne Victory wasn't a great one. And I think a lot of the, the club culture has been built on you know being able to withstand and and, and to grow. Uh, and the culture that's been built is a sense of belonging that isn't just about winning. So I really feel that that's the nucleus or the spirit of that still exists, but I think it's gone off the rails a little bit. And I feel that there's a disconnect. I think that's probably the most appropriate word right now between the way the club is run and the way in which fans feel they're being treated. Uh, and look, it's not just one event or uh, you know, this particular season. I feel that it's, it's something that's yeah, we're seeing the culmination of a few factors. I've, I've, I think I've said the phrase death by a thousand cuts about three or four times this week because that's what it feels like. Uh, and fans are now voting with their feet, which is concerning. And I feel like the club potentially have taken fans for, for granted a little bit. Now, I totally agree that Mario Bison's Anthony Pietro, absolute you know, stalwarts, and what they've done for the club cannot be discounted you know, in terms of the money that they've poured in over many years now. But I do feel like you know, it needs to be, I guess, brought back down to earth a little bit, uh, get in touch a bit more with the rank and file, and, and try and understand exactly how we feel.
3: Dave, when Kevin Musket was sacked, I personally felt he was sacked when he departed. And I also thought at the time that it was probably the right decision as a fan. I thought it was maybe time for a bit of a freshen up. But having seen who they had lined up and who's come in the the couple of seasons since, I think it looks a far less considered decision than it did at the time. What was your take on Musket's departure at the time and how have you viewed it retrospectively?
6: At the time when when Kev left, I feel as though everyone felt it was the right time. It it, it felt as though... Uh, the club needed a change in direction. And it's, it's worth remembering that, you know, he was our manager for many, many years, but he's, you know, part of the furniture, he was part of the club since its inception. And so the, the culture, you know, <laughs> successful culture, that it was very much built around, I guess, the cult of personality of Kevin Musket in many respects. Uh, and the, the, I guess the succession planning uh, around the fact that, you know, a huge void has been left uh, since his departure. Probably hasn't worked out as we would have liked. I think most fans were fairly okay with uh, the appointment of Marco Kurtz when it, when it happened. Uh, and you know, a few people do look back and think that it was potentially a bit of a, a rash decision to offload him after I think it was 10 games. And yeah, it just seemed to be at that time uh, yeah, not not exactly well planned out. Uh, and obviously, you know, thereafter, Carlos Salvatore was involved, but and he you know, you had the transition to Grant Brevner, and then COVID hit. So look, there's, there's been a lot of different factors uh, at play. <laughs> Lead to where we are, but the fact is that all clubs have had to deal with. There's been managerial changes uh, at quite a few different clubs this season, uh, and yeah, I just uh, I feel as though the the perception, at least, is that you know it, it, there hasn't been, I guess, enough forethought with the way in which uh, the management of the club, longer term has been
1: considered. Does that make sense? Let's uh, gaze into the crystal ball and ask you, as a fan, someone who's, who's really nailed on. Um, you've got a voice with the podcast, but you're also a voice from the terraces. You know, if you if you could uh, sit with down with Anthony Di Pietro and give him uh, uh, say two or three uh, um, uh, recommendations for what you would want the fans to see, uh, what would they be?
6: Probably the main thing is to reintroduce those fan forums that used to take place. Uh, I don't think there's been one for about seven years. And, you know, have them on a biannual basis. Uh, what that at least does, and even if it doesn't end up being a bunch of action items on someone's list, so it doesn't necessarily end up being that everything fans say is uh, taken into account, at least it, it, it gives fans a voice. I feel, you know, coming back to that word disconnect, I feel as though there's, there's a, a huge gap between what fans' expectations are uh, in terms of how they're treated, you know, as, as not just a number. Uh, and so I think that would go a long way uh, to give fans the impression or feeling at least that they're being listened to. Uh, and, and I think there's, there's, there's been a heavy sort of commercial focus by the club, which of course is, is very important. But I think you can't lose sight of the fact that the fans uh, what makes the club? And, and that is why, uh, Melbourne Victory, you know, up until recently, I feel, had been, you know, standing alone, uh, you know, and ahead of a lot of the other clubs, uh, because of that strong membership base that exists. Uh, but look, that, that would just be a small thing that could be reintroduced because, you know, when, when the last one did happen, one of the chief concerns that fans had was the introduction of an academy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it's really start to be a club that had, you know, assembly line of young talent coming through. And of course, that sort of, uh, fell into a bit of a hole with the Footscray Park project that, that, uh, unfortunately was cancelled. So I think, you know, fans kind of need to hear what's going on with that because we are the ones, you know, effectively putting in our money every year. And there's a risk now, I feel, that people, uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about not renewing next season. Uh, mm. So, you know, it's it's got to be, got to be something that uh, there has to be a little bit
1: of change in that space. I feel, Dave, um, you've sn- summed it up uh, beautifully, mate. Uh, we uh, we enjoy your podcast. Um, from an entertainment point of view, mate, it's it's uh, it's informative, it's funny, uh, but it's uh, generally right on point, and um, right now it, it sure is. So if uh, you're a Victory fan and you haven't listened, then find it on your podcast platform. And if you're just an A-League fan, tune in and you'll get some uh, entertainment and some pretty strong opinions. Dave, thanks so much for, for coming on to box to box mate. Um, hopefully this won't be the last time. My
6: pleasure, yeah. We try not to take ourselves too seriously That's, yeah, so we, but uh, it's been hard to not do so recently but yeah thanks once again chaps and uh, look forward to hopefully coming on again one day
1: yeah we sure will Dave thanks so much Dave Sahoy from the For Vuck's Sake podcast alright stick around busy next hour we've got Jordan Campbell from the Athletic to Talk Rangers we've got Dino and Del to Talk Europe and we'll wrap it up with Stoppage Time
0: now this is Box to Box with Rob Gilberts and Michael Edgeley. Oh! For chemistry chemistry Warehouse. House. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving handover. Absolutely fantastic! Yes, this
1: is Box to Box. And after a busy first hour with Vince Regari, Archie Thompson and Dave Sahoy from the FVS, uh, for luck's sake, podcast, we've got a, an even busier second hour because we are going to, after Willem dives into second edition news, Jordan Campbell from The Athletic. What a story it's been uh, over the past decade or so. Range is one of the most storied clubs in football. The uh, second most successful club in world football by uh, domestic standards. Uh, They've fallen to the absolute depths of despair and now they're back on top. Jordan Campbell is an absolute expert on the subject and we are really looking forward to having a yarn to him. We're going to talk more on Europe with Dino and Dell. Busy Champions League week this week and stoppage time. Uh, Derek has got another little... uh, curly one for us which will uh, reveal uh, very soon. However Willem uh, what are you going to start us off with uh, Matildas and Socceroos style?
3: Yes Socceroos and Matilda Central Rob for the Green and Gold Army of course with vaccines rolling out across Australia and the world it's time Michael to get excited about your next overseas trip. Make sure you take it with the Green and Gold Army who can help you support the Socceroos and Matildas in all corners of the globe. Head to the mailing list at ggatravel.com.au Sam Kerr and Ellie Carpenter are set to taste Champions League quarterfinal action for the first time after Chelsea and Lyon progressed on Thursday morning. Having starred in the first leg, Kerr had a quieter match against Atletico in Monza while Carpenter was rested as Lyon racked up a 5-1 aggregate win over Bronby. The draw for the last eight will take place on Friday. In the English League throughout the week, Caitlin Ford bagged a brace for the Gunners. They're stuck in fourth at the minute, which is also where Ford sits on the goalscorers' charts. Haley Rasso came off the bench for Everton late in the first half and deputised at right back as they went down to Manchester City. Now, Michael Haley Rasso started the season and her top Toffees career magnificently. Is it fair to say she's come off the boil a touch?
2: I don't know if she's, uh, she's come off the boil, but, um, yeah, those selection... Um, issues will be a worry. Not sure how her body is, but um, we know the quality of Haley. She's she's a top liner, and she's uh, she'll be fine. Don't don't Hayley Haley.
3: Unfortunately, in London at West Ham, they're going to be without Mackenzie Arnold for four to six weeks after she injured her knee at training. To the Gents, Harry Sutars finally scored his maiden goal for Stoke, heading home a corner in a 2 0 win over Wickham. Stoke remained bogged mid-table in 10th. To Asia, Mitch Langerak's Uruwa have won three out of three to start the J-League season, Mitch having conceded just once. And David Williams was teed up for a goal by Roy Krishna as Mohan Bagan drew one-all in India. And finally back home, Ryan Grant celebrated his two hundred. A-League appearance for Sydney with a goal against Western United, which sealed a crucial three points as the Sky Blues look to return to the top of the table. Barbarousas looking
0: for Ryan Grant in the milestone!
3: Going over to Europe, guys, Germany's FA have announced Joachim Löw will step down as manager following this summer's Euros, despite his contract running until the end of the 2022 World Cup. Yogi has presided over a complete restructure of German football since taking up the job in 2006, reaching the Euros 2008 final, coming third at the 2010 World Cup and going two better and winning it four years later. He leaves having managed more matches and more wins at World Cups and Euros combined than anyone else, with 23 victories from 34 starts. One man looms as his natural successor, although Jurgen Klopp was clearly fed up with being linked to the job ahead of Liverpool's Champions League clash with RB Leipzig.
0: Wow, I thought that is one of the answers. A question I answer most often in my life. Um, in the future, maybe. Now, no, because I have no time. I have a job. Pretty intense job by the way <laughs> so um, and not sure if anybody asked for me or after me and I don't know in public or whatever uh, but I if they don't know I have a job here Liverpool um even when the weather is bad again um I like it and so and I am responsible for a lot of things here so I will not
3: Okay, so it's not going to be Jürgen. Just back on Yogi uh, Jürgen Lowe. My enduring memory will always be the first game of the 2010 World Cup when he rolled out with a young side, Urzil Muller, Podolski, and they smacked Australia. Michael, they made us look fifth rate and our tournament was pretty much over at halftime. They did the same as they went along to England and Argentina. Although they didn't win it that year, I thought they probably played the best football at that 2010 World Cup so he leaves a serious legacy. But there was also
1: his assistant role with Jürgen Klinsmann back in 06 yes. where many saw him as the mastermind and, uh, and obviously like every home World Cup uh, the the Germans went on a run and they were just too young at the time but they were an exciting team and they they made a, a, a big impression and you could just see what was about to happen so the moment Jurgen left and uh, and Joachim Lowe stepped in uh, it all emerged so uh, yeah what a great career he's had
2: I've got two memories the the, the first one is uh, the semi-final in against uh, uh, Brazil in uh, the 2014 World Cup in in Brazil where they won 7-1 and he just total demolition. The other one was the famous bit of footage where he picked his nose and oh. uh, and sort of looked at what he picked and then
3: ate it. Oh, no. And uh, who could forget that, Rob? Oh. <laughs> Plenty of footage of him going the Rafa a style as well uh, down, the, uh, down the pants. Down, down the, right? the pants as well, yeah. That's so just he's, just like, he's got uh, some
2: good personal habits. It sort of
3: reminds
1: <laughs> me of Louis- that joke about <laughs> Luigi the bridge builder um, and the ghost, but we won't go there. No,
2: that's right. We
3: won't <laughs> <not> go there. <laughs> An expanded UEFA Champions League format could be agreed upon within the next month, according to European Clubs Association boss Andrea Agnelli. The theoretical format would see the current group phase scrapped in favour of each team playing 10 games against opponents decided by UEFA rankings. These would result in an overall table determining who progress to the knockouts. All up, 100 extra matches across four match days would need to be accommodated. So the fear from England is that to find those extra four match days, that would probably be the end of the League Cup, and of course the size of the league, which is always in contention, would possibly be reduced as well. And,
1: and I'm sure Derek and Dean will have a comment on it, but. Uh, Something in the vicinity of a quarter of the entire revenues of the EFL come from the League Cup. And uh, if you take out six of the, of the clubs uh, at, the, at the top end, it just about makes it irrelevant. So, you know, it sounds like uh, if they're involved in this decision, and they are to a certain extent, uh, that they may well be forced to, to be the turkeys voting for Christmas.
3: Over to Brazil, the Rio de Janeiro State Legislature has voted to rename the fabled Maracanã Stadium in honour of their most iconic footballer, possibly their most iconic person, Pelé. Should the state governor approve the change, the stadium will be known as the Edson Arantes de Nascimento Re-Pelé Stadium. That is, of course, Pelé's full name, with Re-Pelé translating to King Pelé. The stadium has famously hosted two World Cup finals in 1950 and 2014. That'll be a big change, Michael, but he is the king.
2: Uh, I think it's a fantastic uh, idea. Um, I mean, American R has uh, epic sort of brand uh, recognition, doesn't mm-hmm. it? but uh, to call it, uh King Pele Stadium would be something special. Yeah, it's, it's, maybe it's King li- Pele Stadium, Maracanã, something like that.
1: It sort of does feel a bit sad in a way that uh, that the Maracanã has no, been I think so synonymous sort of st- with us. Yeah, yeah but of- uh, but if there was one person internationally yeah. in sport uh, uh, that deserves that honour, uh, we saw um, Napoli change uh, the name of uh, their stadium to uh, to honour Maradona. So uh, that was after his death. So you know perhaps Pele deserves it uh, while he's still uh, able to enjoy the honour. I think so.
3: Over to Spain, Barcelona's presidential elections were held throughout the week, with Juan Laporta elected for the second time. Laporta was president between 2003 and 2010, a period which saw Barca win four La Liga titles and two Champions Leagues. He received a resounding 57.6% of the vote ahead of Victor Font and Antoni Freire, with just under half of the 110,000 members choosing to cast a vote. So, Rob, he has a massive job to do to clean up the back end of the Bartomeu reign.
1: Oh, it's going to be uh, a sight to, to see. He uh, obviously has great pedigree, um, and uh, and there's a lot of commercial support would come behind a guy like him. But uh, for God's sake, um, what's he going to do w- with the club in the state that it's
2: in right now? Edge. He needs an industrial sized water cannon to clean out that joint. <laughs> Tell you what, they've got more problems than you can poke a stick at.
3: Just as long as the cannon doesn't clear up messy. Correct. The English Women's Super League has attracted a rights fee for the first time in its history, with Sky Sports and the BBC agreeing terms until 2023-24. Sky will have first choice of matches, although BBC's presence as the secondary partner ensures plenty will be available on free-to-air. The league will also grow its audience abroad across Europe with the Nordic Entertainment Group set to stream matches into nine European countries. Michael, that is magnificent for the growth of the league and, of course, that means benefit and exposure for our Aussie girls.
2: Certainly does, and I think actually the Women's Super League in England has potentially got the uh, motivation and drive now to become the, the most significant women's football league uh, in the world in, in the coming years.
3: Kylian Mbappe has become the youngest player to 25 Champions League goals as PSG moved past Barcelona into the quarters 5-2 on aggregate. Mbappe scored four goals across the tie, taking him past another player who was on the pitch, Lionel Messi, as the youngest to the mark at just 22 years and 80 days. Dean and Derek, of course, will have the full Champions League review and preview. Uh, Later in the show, but Rob, relief at Anfield as well on Thursday morning as you guys negotiated Leipzig comfortably.
1: Well, it should have been at Anfield, but it was in Prague, of course. Um. As in uh, relief at the club? Yes, exactly. Okay. I should have taken you metaphorically <laughs> as opposed to literally. Uh, so no, you're right. And uh, look, uh, Julian Nagelsmann has had RB Leipzig uh, uh, humming for um, a long time now. They've um, they've been uh, uh, one of the most entertaining sides in the Bundesliga. So you, you would have thought that um, that they would have come out and thrown everything at them, given they were already two goals down uh, on aggregate. But uh, but they didn't touch Liverpool. And uh, so uh, look, I obviously as a Liverpool fan hope. That um, hope that, that Liverpool can salvage something from this season with a run at, uh, uh, at um, the Champions League. And wouldn't it be a great final if we saw uh, them play City um, for, for the actual title uh, and win? That would be extra special.
3: And a final one: Manchester United have appointed former midfielder Darren Fletcher as their first ever technical director. The club first stated they'd made filling such a position a priority following the sacking of Jose Mourinho in 2018. Fletcher will report to John Murta, who's been at the club since the David Moyes era in 2013. Uh, he's worked with the academy and recruitment. He is now been appointed as director of football. So a big restructure at Man U.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it's just at the right time when they uh, when they're finally up and about and, uh, and going through uh, a good phase of this. All right, well done, Willem. Hey, um, next we're going to talk to Jordan Campbell from the Athletic. Uh, we've had him on in the past uh, talking about the Scottish Premiership, but uh, this time we're going to talk about the uh, the rise of uh, the Rangers, like the Phoenix from the ashes uh, after they were all but destroyed due to financial mismanagement. They are now back on top and winning their fifty fifth title. Stick around; that's going to be a fantastic
0: chat with Jordan Campbell on Box to Box. Box to Box. <laughs> The chemist Warehouse Home of real brands and real savings And Storage King The kings of storage, moving and more
1: and this Yes, this best. is What's the Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport Now, as we attempt to cover most things in the world game every week One of the the stories that we've been following uh, over the past uh, season Is the, uh, the re-emergence like the phoenix from the ashes of the uh, the Rangers Football Club From uh, the depths of despair back in 2012 when they were in uh, administration and uh, and was sent to uh, to Coventry, so to speak, in the fourth division of, of Scottish football uh, to to their reemergence as the champions of Scotland, their fifty fifth title. And we welcome a man who's an absolute expert on the subject. Uh, he's been on the show before from the Athletic, Jordan Campbell. How are you, mate?
7: Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, that was a big build up. Hopefully, <laughs> i have up to that. <laughs>
1: well, uh, mate. Um, anyone who, who reads your analysis uh, that uh, that you published in the Athletic will will um, be absolutely sure that uh, the uh, the big build up was warranted because uh, it does go through things in chapter and verse and uh, anyone who wants to get the story. But but going back to 2012, uh, um, it was it was a disastrous time for Rangers, wasn't
7: it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to put into words now. You know, nine years later, just how desperate things were. Um, you know, Craig White had come in, um, bought the club for a pound and paid off the, the bank debt. But unbeknown to everyone um, else for another few months, he'd actually... You know, use future season ticket money um, to fund that deal, um, and essentially, um, you know, just withheld tax and and put the club into the mire. Um, so, uh, you know, that that time was uh, is almost impossible to, to sum up how much hurt that caused um, the range support, and you know, it, 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 all it did was entrench the divide in Scottish football as well. When they had to start again in the fourth tier, so. In the last 10 years as they've been walking up, the way back up, you know, I think Rangers fans have had a sort of siege mentality. So um, to eventually sort of complete this journey um, definitely means a lot to them because in the, years, in the years after 2012, for a good three, four years, there were times where the fans had legitimate concern about whether they were going to have a club to support um, or whether it was going to just turn into a Mike Ashley um, front for Sports Direct and be downsized to a level where they would never compete with Celtic again. So these were all very real things at the time um, until they got regime change in 2015 and they've just been gradually building and building and building, especially in the last three years under Gerard. and yeah, they've got to, got back to the summit now
1: and the uh, the story though there it's a wonderful story though um, of redemption in, in many ways and they did have to redeem themselves because they'd have done the wrong thing and uh, and the other clubs weren't willing to let them back um, on an easy you know soft ride so uh, they they now are the only club in in Scottish football to have won every division of football because they had to um, and uh, and the um, the smaller clubs around the country there was the famous ball on the hedge incident uh, um, and yeah. you know these these moments that are now uh, etched in time.
7: I think the novelty factor when they first went down to the bottom of the league was refreshing because as you say the you know the reception or the the lack of compassion from other sets of supports was it was you know it was expected because you know dominant teams who have forever you know for over a century been at the top of the sport there's always going to be an element of jealousy or you know schadenfreude so um, you know the I think when they went down to the bottom league you know things like the ball being stuck at the hedge at Breakin and you know going to Peterhead and going to all these new places and making new acquaintances I think that was um that was exciting it was a bit different but I think that novelty factor very quickly wore off because you know even in the fourth division it took them 3 months to get the first win away from home there was a a transfer ban um you know they lost at home to Annan the Athletic there was there were some real embarrassments in there, um, and then you know the real low point I think was 2014-15 when you know Alan McCoy the club legend, um, you know, resigned basically because you know the team were struggling off on the park and they were you know it was toxic off the park, um, and you know at one point there was eleven thousand fans at a game, um, which was the lowest in decades because the, the fans were having to boycott to try and get control of the club back. Um, So that's the real turning point is when they managed to get Rangers fans and people who wanted the best for the club back in.
8: You're listening to box to box and we're speaking with the Athletics Rangers expert, Jordan Campbell, on their title-winning season. Now, Jordan, once uh, Rangers got back into the Premier League, the disparity between them and Celtic was still absolutely gigantic. Um, They made steady progress and obviously... Um, appointed Steven Gerrard, which seems to have been the key turning point. You won't mind me saying it's a relatively modest squad of triers as opposed to superstars. But what do you think has made the difference this season? and Why they've been able to take that gigantic league forward?
7: Well, I mean, I think it just comes down to time, really, and uh, and walk into the same plan. Um, because, you know, Gerrard came in the first season beat Celtic twice, you know, got to the Europa League group stages in the first couple of months. So there was real signs of improvement there, but it was moments rather than any prolonged succession that season. Um, and in the second season, you know, there was, it was title-winning form just the same as this year for the first half. And then after after the winter break, they just completely collapsed, dropped 13 points in, in 10 games and Celtic um, ran away with it before, before uh, the pandemic. Um, halted things because I remember in February Gerard was really really down Um, you know a couple of times he walked into the press conference room one time always stands out to me is at Hearts when they were put out of the the Scottish Cup which meant it was going to be two trophy seasons in a row Um, and he basically twice was asked was he having a plan for the future and uh, considering his position and twice he never he never took the chance to say no i'm here for good it was hesitancy and you could see was a bit of self-doubt about whether he had tried everything and whether this was the end of the road but um you know to turn it around for the the, the hamilton game in march um second last game before the, the pandemic where they lost 1-0 um the place was absolutely toxic to come back and then go unbeaten the whole season has been remarkable but uh, i think it's been built on solid foundations and you know, part of that I think is in the summer they had you know Zoom calls uh, um, with the leadership group of like five six players. Um, uh, then they had you know unit unit calls with the defence midfield to talk about things. And then they had an extended pre-season as well where they're not they've not been used to that in the last couple of years because they've had literally two three weeks before they've gone straight into European qualifiers and then you're three games a week for the next six months. So. I think there was a lot more time this year to to really build those um, build those blocks. But I, I mean, in terms of the the team this season, I think the biggest difference has been the the strength and depth. So they added Kimar Roof, they added Cedric Ettin in an attack, took the reliance off of the Colombian striker Alfredo Morelos, who has been the talisman. Um, and I think they've just shared the responsibility around the park. There's players now getting to double figures and goals like Ryan Kent, Hadji's getting there, Aribo's getting there. So once you start spreading the goals around the team, even Tavernier at right back, scored a ridiculous amount, so um, I think there's not been one superstar of this team, but there's a group of six or seven players who are all very good players and they're all showing it in Europe as well that they're well capable.
8: All credit to Gerard, I think, for uh, managing to keep Morelos on a leash. He's a great player, but uh, other managers have struggled. But he seems to get the best out of him. Talking about um, where Rangers are, obviously returning to the Champions League, early, you know, for the first time in a long time. How far away are they from Celtic in terms of um, financial power? Do they have to double down and continually repeat this success over a long period, or is the uh, disparity not as close as we think?
7: It definitely has closed dramatically in the last few years, so um, essentially since 2015 when Dave King and the other Rangers investors came in, they they have been funding the shortfall deliberately, so they've been saying we have to over-invest if we're going to close the gap in Celtic, because if they only spent within the means then, because their revenues have dropped off so low, we're never going to be able to close that gap, so they've spent the best part of £40 million in the last three years. since. Um, Gerard's came in. That's just investment from their own wealth. So it's been a huge commitment for the for the board to fund us um, because again they're not getting anything back out of us. Their loans that they're putting into it is just converted to shares. It's not um, this is not an investment for them which will, will be a return. But um, you know Gerard has invested, and in, I think in twenty seventeen eighteen Celtic's revenue was about one hundred and three million, and Celtic's uh, and Rangers sorry was about thirty million. So there's was a seventy million gap. And as of the latest accounts, it's down to an 11 a million gap. Um, so I think when you look at the difference in revenue, that's purely down to the fact that Rangers have have qualified for the Europa League three years in a row. have got to the last 16 two years in a row. Um, but the real difference maker of the next couple of years is going to be the Champions League money because in Scotland you get £3 million for winning the league. You get £30 million for being in the Champions League. So you can see that that is, that is the real um, boon if you want to call it that. Um, so I think if Rangers you know, can qualify through the two rounds next season, that would be a transformative amount of money for them. And also the fact that they're doing so well in Europe, if they can go in an extra couple of rounds, beat Slavia Prague in the next couple of weeks and potentially you know, get to the quarter semi-finals of the Europa League, that could be enough for Scotland to clinch the 11th place in the European rankings. And what that would do is next season it would mean that the, the winners of the league in Scotland would have an automatic place in the Champions League. So <laughs> it would actually make next season's league even bigger than this one, um, if that's even possible to believe.
2: <laughs> With all of this success, how long can uh, the Rangers hold on to Stephen Gerrard?
7: I, I don't think Gerrard's in a, a rush to go anywhere, and I think everybody knows where you know, uh, his ideal destination is, but... I think it comes down to timing, you know, these contracts are there till 2024, which aligns with Jürgen Klopp at Liverpool as well. So, in, a, in an ideal world, I think for both parties, there would be a you know, a succession plan that would kick in in a few years' time. But, you know, if Klopp can't arrest the decline at Liverpool and halfway into next season, then they're looking for a new manager, Will Gerrard be top of the list. Then, I mean, I imagine he'll be in contention, but... Whether, he, whether one title in Scotland is enough for them for Liverpool to be convinced they can make the step straight away, um, I think remains to be seen because, you know, it's not people from Merseyside running. Liverpool, it's Americans who are very methodical in their thinking. So I think Gerrard wants to now start his own period of dominance at Rangers. He wants to get two or three wins, um, two or three titles in the bag and leave Rangers as uh, clearly the top power in Scottish football. But I think he'll also want a crack at the Champions League to to prove that, you know, his record in Europa League, five losses in 43 games, he wants to be able to prove that he can do that at the next level as well, I think.
1: Mm, you get a sense that he's a man with a vision and uh, and he looks at the long game and uh, he's in no rush, He's saw what happened to Frank Lampard at Chelsea and uh, he's in no rush to do something similar Jordan, um, we'd love to talk to you for longer and we would have you back on again we want to talk to you about our own man Jackson Irvine and how him and a few of our <laughs> other boys are settling in, in Scotland but uh, uh, but mate um, thank you so much for, for joining us, uh, football fans in Australia uh, just uh, know all about the old firm derbies and they know the story of Rangers and um, and uh, it's uh, whether you love or hate the club, you just can't but admire um, what they've done to uh, to come back from the depths of uh, of the worst despair.
7: Well, no, it's good to hear that the um, the, the, the story is reaching far and wide. So um, yeah. I'm not happy to come and talk about it. Thanks for having me on.
1: Not at all. Well, stay well, mate. We Thank hope you. things keep on improving um, over in your part of the world, mate. Um, stick around. Uh, next, we're going to continue to talk Europe Champions League. Um, lots of results this week on box to box. That's after the break
0: box to box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of Yes, this
1: is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport Broadcasting around Australia and also around the world on whatever podcast catcher you're listening to us on. We welcome you and thank you for your support. We hope you enjoyed that chat with Jordan Campbell about Rangers. We certainly did. We're going to talk more Europe with Dino and Dell in a moment, but before we do, remember, if you're listening in Australia, it's flu season, so don't let the flu ruin your plans this year. Get in early and help protect yourself with the flu vaccination available at Chemist Warehouse. The quadrivalent vaccine may help protect against four strains of influenza. However, it can take several weeks to take full effect. So be a flu fighter and help protect yourself by heading into Chemist Warehouse. Their immunisation service is quick and convenient. Book your appointment online. I did that last year and I'm about to this year. Chemistwarehouse.com.au forward slash flu for $14.99. Protect yourself. It's cheap. Get it done. Lowest prices. Michael, every day. We're at Chemist Warehouse, Rob. Okay, so boys, we're all going to get our flu injections done. Uh, we have got Dino and Dell here. And um, Derek, um, well, you've got a smorgasbord set up. Um, why don't you just um, tip us off?
8: Yeah, absolutely, gents. Good evening. And uh, firstly, what I want to ask uh, you, Rob, and maybe some of the others is, um, what were you doing in 2005?
1: I uh, was... Um enjoying the early stages of discussion
2: around the A league yeah um well, it's it was funny you say that um, because uh, the first A league match was in August of 2005 mm-hmm. so in March of 2005 which is where we are now mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of discussion about who was going to be mm-hmm. uh, who was going um, to be nominated to get the licenses of I clubs talk, and I so had so meetings forth. at 3 rw with Tony
1: Ising then who was uh, That's right. uh who who, who uh, I think is fair to say that he came up with the idea
2: for Melbourne well, Victory and the, the and the big that's right. So he sees a big part of it. But who could forget? Obviously, the, the there was all that happening, Derek. But who could forget the dialogue around the Socceroos because we were hurtling towards the playoff with Uruguay in October. Absolutely. And then obviously the it eventual was on the side of the pitch there. Yeah, the eventual qualification yeah. for the 2006 FIFA World Cup. But Derek Germany. must
8: have had a reason for
2: asking that question. Yeah. What was the reason?
8: Well, um, I was actually finishing my university degree in London. That's what I was doing in 2005. Uh, And it was also the last time that there was a Champions League quarterfinal that didn't include Messi or Ronaldo. So that's what these results have done to Astino. Probably the the tie of the round was the Juventus 3-FC Porto game uh, 2. And Porto go through, great game.
9: Yeah, superb. When you get a four-four on aggregate, and then obviously it's a one-on-away goals, so it's, uh, it's had everything. Actually, uh, unbelievable game. And uh, yeah, it's 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 funny. Like with regards to uh, Ronaldo and Messi, you know, they've always been measured, you know, you know, tit for tat, and everybody's got their favourites. The I main mine's always been um, Ronaldo. But yeah, look, I think it's uh, it's a test of the time, and uh, I'm just wondering you know, maybe who the next two are going to actually step into their shoes.
8: That's a very good segue, because if we go to the PSG Barcelona game, Kylian Mbappe was seven in 2005, so it just shows you how <laughs> how how young he is, and he scored the penalty, which really meant that um, Paris Saint-Germain were never really going to lose this game, despite a spirited first-half display from Barcelona. And once again, Dino, uh, Messi, all that money, but he can't take a spot kick, can he?
9: No, he can't. He has struggled a bit with the the spot kicks, but outside of that I think he's not done too bad.
8: No, he hasn't. I I was just a very strange spot kick for me. He just kind of I don't know what he was trying to do with it, Dino. He just kind of hit it central, but it wasn't with a lot of conviction. So I don't know what was going through his mind there. And maybe if that goal had gone in, it could have been another great Barcelona comeback. But this is a very different Barcelona outfit, as the guys were saying in news too. Um, I know Rob has already had his time chance to talk about Liverpool, obviously 2-0 over Leipzig. And this yep. is the competition that's keeping Liverpool's season well and truly alive and Hopefully they'll translate that back into the the Premier League and 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 the other uh, youngster who could be taking the crown is the guy I keep raving about, Erling Braut Haaland. Dino, you know, he was five in 2015, so he been younger, right, okay. and he scored a brace that really put the game beyond um, Seville. But do you think um, Dortmund are a dark horse for this tournament?
9: Yeah, look, I think mean, especially with um, Haaland. I mean. Um... I'm not sure if Sancho's fit at the moment, but maybe if he comes back, um, possibly. I don't know if he played overnight, but certainly with regards to Haaland, uh, he's he's the go-to man, and uh, and the finishing his finishing is outstanding, and he's obviously the, the I think he's the youngest one to get to 20 goals in Champions League uh, in the quickest time.
8: Going to the Premier League, Dino. You know, we've had one game this week, and City opened up a fourteen-point lead at the top of the table with a victory over Southampton, five-two. They're now six games away, possibly from the title. And probably one of their players that's been a bit unsung. Uh, I was impressed with Riyad Mahrez. He was he was classy in this game.
9: No, Mahrez has been good for me all season. You know, I think he's got like at least five or six man of the matches from from whoever's been choosing it. Um, but they've got so many weapons and, you know, like... Um, and, and I think it was a little bit of a blip with Man uh, Manchester United. But, you know, I think United did a good number on them last week or a lot on the weekend. But City bounced back and um, look, they're going to win the league and I'm hoping they go really deep into the Champions League.
8: Yeah, you mentioned the game against United. That was an impressive win for them. And Ole... Has got an excellent record against Pep, yeah. um, and they broke that twenty-one successive vi- victory sequence. Um, is it time for us all to start eating shed loads of humble pie when it comes to Solskjaer and say that this guy is um, doing the job?
9: Well, it, it most uh, most probably is. I think because he's quite he's quite quiet. I mean, and you know, and generally he's been a little bit more animated um, animated in the last. I reckon three or four weeks, but I think he's done a fabulous job. I mean, it was a big job that, you know, uh, he obviously wanted the job. He didn't have an awful lot of experience. But I think as, it, as, it, as it's gone on, um, I think, it's, I think he's, if you look at it, you know, thinking about even the Champions League of last year and how far they went there and, and they've been at the pointy end all season. Um, So they should stay in the top four and get European football again. I think he's done a a fabulous job based on lots of factors that are against him where a lot of people doubted his credentials.
8: Looking at other big games from the Premier League weekend, I thought, you know, obviously Fulham's win at um, uh, Liverpool was fantastic. Fantastic, as well as Scott Parker's amazing jacket that he was wearing. But um, <laughs> yeah. li- li- Liverpool uh, six games um, in a row at home, having gone eighty-six games, I think, undefeated at home. Yeah. Um, what can you? What is going on? Do you think there, or do you just give all the credit to Fulham?
9: Ah, uh, look, I think I think it's a build-up and a build-up from the injuries when they happen to key players, and when you think about it. I think they've had like something like 22 partnerships at, at centre-half. I mean, that's just not feasible. I mean, I don't know anybody else in world football who's had to do that. Uh, so I think there's a lot for Liverpool. I think the, the Champions League, as we mentioned earlier, is, is something that Liverpool have got to try and drive and go and try and win so to get some silverware this year. But I think Liverpool won't. I think this win, even though it was a an away game at home, which was quite interesting, um I think if they can just get the home form back, uh, which I think this win might might just change that, then Liverpool, you know, I don't, don't think Liverpool won't, won't try and push all the way and go on a bit of a run from now. So it just depends on how they, I think the next game is most probably the key to see if they can bounce back in and pick points up in the in the um, EPL.
8: One team that's not struggling picking up points is Chelsea, who again uh, had a fantastic uh, win over Everton, and they're flying and look very solid. Um, Leicester, um, I don't know how they won that game, but they did, and they've looked <laughs> like they're recovering their season. The goal of the weekend was a k- between Harry Kane uh, or the goal for Southampton from Che Adams. Have you got an, yeah, an opinion on both who?
9: Sure, about of them. I like Jay Adams, but I thought I still thought Kane was absolute worldy.
8: We have to do it again. Playing out from the back, Dino Arsenal's oh, well,
9: Arsenal
8: um, <laughs> four players surrounding Jacques, He takes a touch and then tries to chip it over the tallest player in the Premier League. thinking Chris Wood. Uh, you know, um, should we still be playing out the back, or was that Rose Ed time?
9: No, look, look, especially when you're facing you know your goalkeeper. I mean. You just, you just go, Led. there's nothing there's – nothing. It's, it's a basic defending manoeuvre. Like, if you're in trouble and you're facing your keeper and you don't want to give a corner away, which they generally don't, you're just trying to pick it into Rosette on either side. So, I think uh, hopefully they learn by that. But, you know, the more they keep doing it, the more they dig holes. And, you know, this press is now a big, big feature of the game. And, 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 the, and the forwards are really trained nowadays do it properly and, and put them in these positions. So, you know, if you think of it, flair players trying to just block off little, little channels is not that difficult. But you try and plan out and articulate it, it's, it's not always easy.
8: Yeah, well, Arsenal can pick up the pieces at the weekend with the tie of the round, which is their home game against Tottenham. Very Ooh. interesting for a number of reasons. Manchester United, West Ham has a good look to it as well, Dean. So, I'd, those are the two that if I was going to stay up uh, that, they're the two that I would definitely go for, and uh, probably the, the last one for us to, to talk about briefly is the 2016 Champions League um, could start in 20, 2024. And Steve Parrish says that the reformed tournament will be devastating for English football because it will possibly mean the end of the EFL Cup or certainly a diminished EFL Cup, and that's got to be bad for English football, Dino.
9: Yeah, look, I do agree with that. I mean, I, I don't like the I don't like the of that at all. Um, but I think another thing I'd like, just a little shout out, Rangers, uh, blocking, the, the nine in a row, uh, making it ten, so. That was an unbelievable result, even though they Yes, Dean. We we but did
1: talk at length with Jordan Campbell about that's, that's that, so good. you can really you can good. you can enjoy and bask in the in the afterglow of that, mate. Yeah, but hey,
9: Stevie G did a great job, didn't
1: he? Yeah, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. All right, boys, I'm going to call it a day on you. Just sit tight where you are because we're going to bring it back in stoppage time and uh, and keep talking uh, about a few other topics, uh, particularly about uh, Champions League and uh, 12 months on since COVID uh, was unleashed. All right, well done, Derek and Dean. That's stoppage time next on Box to Box. Derek.
0: Box to Box. Can you believe it? The chemist warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be
1: the most crucial goal of all. This, this is Box to Box. It's been a fun show this week. We've got through a lot. Uh, we're going to get through a bit more. We're going to talk about... Uh, this past 12 months because it is 12 months since um, COVID was unleashed in uh, Europe and uh, football just changed. Before we do though, I want to talk storage king. We always do. They're our great mates. Is your home running out of space? Whether you're decluttering, moving or renovating, downsizing or creating a home office, Storage King has the answer. With stores everywhere, there's a location just around the corner. They also have got a crack team of storage professionals who can organise it all for you, making Storage King the kings of storage moving and more. And if you didn't listen last week, do yourself a favour, jump onto Nine Now and watch Space Invaders. Storage King are a major partner of this fantastic television program which hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people around Australia are watching. Derek and I have been heavily involved in as as have our mates at Storage. King. It's on again this Saturday night at 7.30 nationally across Australia. Storageking.com.au for your nearest store and to give you back some space. Derek, it is stoppage time and um, it's become your sort of thing to come up with a few angles and toss a few up and see how the responses go, but uh, this was a pretty obvious one this week.
8: Yeah, Rob, it's the sort of one-year anniversary, as you'd call it, of uh, the impacts of COVID on football in Europe, and particularly the UK. And um, I think you're probably as across it as anyone in terms of the uh, the match at Anfield and the infamous match at Anfield. Now, do you want to set the scene for that for that final game?
1: Absolutely, Derek. Who could forget it? It was a round of sixteen. Liverpool played Atletico. Would. At, uh Anfield, they were knocked out, they were the defending champions, lost 2-3, but who, who knew what was going to be unleashed that day because Spain was going through the, the early stages of the outbreak of COVID-19 and, uh, and the Spanish fans left um, a, uh, a legacy behind that uh, that everyone in, uh, in the UK um, and around the world are still living with, but it was their legacy at Anfield that no one will forget from that night.
8: Yeah absolutely. I mean I think we're getting used to seeing the empty stadiums and the the piped in uh, atmosphere now and you know it's a shame that, that you've come to that stage where you you just take it for granted the actual idea of full stadiums again is actually um, you know, quite quite fanciful. It's had a, a massive impact on the game on a number of levels. Um, it's been a strange old season, hasn't it, Edge, in terms of, you know, it's been a very fast season, a compressed season, and there's been lots of strange results, and maybe that's because fans haven't been in the ground.
2: Yeah, I think the the issue about fans not being in the ground really does uh, become a leveller uh, in, in the context of Premier League plays playing uh, – Premier League teams playing away from home necessarily um, – not that they struggle, but they do find it more difficult. And I think that uh, the fans not being in the stadiums has really turned that sort of home ground advantage on its head. What do you think, Derek?
8: Yeah, I just think, you know, Liverpool losing six games in a row. I think Rob would argue um, that with the cop there in full voice um, demanding better, uh, even from a from a makeshift defence. Um, I mean, Arsenal season's just been bizarre, to be honest with you. Yes. I mean, we're stuck in no-man's land Um uh, in the middle of the table. And in a way, I'm just writing the season off as the COVID season. And, um, uh, uh, you know, that it will hopefully get back to normal next season. But um, what do you think, uh, Dean, quickly on just the impact on the players? I mean, loads of teams have had injury-ravaged campaigns. Leicester, uh, Liverpool. I mean, that's obviously taken its toll.
9: Well, I think so. And I think there was another team that you wanted to highlight. Uh, based on that, would be West Ham United because they had horrendous moments at uh, the new stadium when they got there and, and they were getting been quite regular at home, if you remember. But uh, with Moisey in there, he's turned the tables and, you know, without the fans, you know, if you go 1-0 down, they get on top of you, as you well know. And uh, and it's sometimes it's hard for teams to get back from that, especially when you're at home. So I think this is a big, big leveler when, as you say, no crowd. It's an empty stadium, it's echoey, so it really becomes a neutral game For other than that that team plays there every other week, you know?
3: And you mentioned Derek that we're on the 1 year anniversary of the Atletico Liverpool result that of means that of course means that it's also the 1 year anniversary of that really sad Atalanta Valencia match which is uh, one of the the highest points of Atalanta's history the fact that they managed to progress so far in the Champions League but that game was in hindsight seen as a bit of a super spreader particularly across uh, their home region of Feni Gamma
2: yeah officially calls it's officially called the covid game and it was a biological bomb because it uh, effectively sent covid to spain
3: mm.
8: yeah that's right and italy has been a country that has been totally devastated by covid and obviously that's had a knock-on effect um on on it on its football as well uh, obviously one of the other angles we can talk about here is the ongoing uh, nature of uh, or you know football clubs as an ongoing concern and clearly the top teams are still there but there are many teams that have been and still are in danger of um of sort of slipping into the abyss if, if fans can't be brought back into grounds. We mentioned briefly in uh, in Europe about the rejig of the uh, Champions League and the impact that could have on the Football League. But, you know, it sounds like that the bailouts from from the government in the UK came in time, but I don't think any of those clubs that don't have the deep pockets of a rich owner or a cash flowed in some other way... Um, uh, you know, are, uh, are necessarily going to survive. So, look, it, it's just strange to think that we're a year on – I don't know, um, how long have we been making this this
1: show, Rob, in this kind of mm. situation as well? We're used to it now, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Well, we, we could say it was close to the 12 months since we've been, uh, you know, the the box-to-box wanderers, and we're still recording remote in the studios of uh, Damien Tardio uh, uh, Communications. But, uh, but we did get back into the studios for a period of about nine weeks there um, – but, uh, but then we were uh, sent back out on the road again. So We unceremoniously sent packing, <laughs> Willem, weren't we?
3: We got the T.O.I. to <laughs> uh,
1: Well done, Willem. You're learning something. Straight rad. Straight <laughs> rad. Not even a piece of cheese held up to give us a warning. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> no yellow yeah, do it all, I Not at all.
1: Not at all. All right, well, boys, um, an- another great show. Uh, we, we've had, we've covered lots of thanks areas busy. with yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, Vince Rigari off the top talking about streaming. Archie Thompson and Dave Sahoy, uh, both outstanding discussions on on the victory and uh, and just uh, Jordan Campbell. Uh, you know, if, if if there's anyone out there who, who knows more about Rangers, then well they uh, they'd be in competition with old mate Jordan from the Athletic. Uh, Dino, thanks again, brother. Yeah, thank you. Well done, boys. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, mate. Enjoy the uh, the next week. Thank you very much. Not at all. And uh, Willem, um, what's your highlight uh, been uh, of this show so far?
3: Tonight? My highlight was speaking to Dave. I think I've, I've listened to the FES podcast for years. They do a magnificent job, so good to get a bit of a crossover going. And, uh, yeah, they are as passionate as they do have their ear to the ground as well about the uh, the broader fan base, so I really enjoyed that, Rob.
1: Yeah, excellent.
2: All right, all edge. Good fun? We'll yeah, great. great uh, really good to have Archie on the show too and uh, and good to see Archie not uh, pulling any punches. No, he didn't. He's uh, landed a few right on the chin of a few people
1: just quietly, so maybe it'll get noticed. Damien Tardier, thank you very much for pressing the buttons there quietly over in the corner giving the thumbs up and we thank you for listening once again to Box to Box. We hope you enjoyed the show and we hope you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.